This podcast is reserved for audiences 18 years and older. Hello, and welcome to Leather Talk with Mr. Bullet Leather 2020. I'm your host, Brandon. Our next guest has been in the leather community for 20 years. He's the founder of PDX Boot Blacks, producer of Kinky Queer Weekend, and holds the title of International Mr. Boot Black 2014. Get ready for some more leather talk. leather 2020 and today we have scout hi scout hi how's it going good good scout for those who uh, might not be familiar with who you are could you give us a little rundown of some bullet points of who you are what you do what you're all about sure uh i'm scout or scout the boot black um because there are several scouts and i'm the one that's a boot black uh so that's how i got that last name i'm 38 uh i am a gay man and identify as a faggot as like by gender. I've been in the leather community for 20 years. I've had several titles. My first was the PDX Best in Show, which was like a like a day-long contest for a puppy title in 2006. Then I went on to win the Columbia Community Boot Black title, which represented Oregon and Southwest Washington, also in 2006. It was the 2010 Northwest Community Boot Black. I was the 2013 Northern California Community Boot Black, and I'm International Mr. Boot Black 2014. I'm also one of the founders of the PDX Boot Blacks and a producer of Kinky Queer Weekend. Jesus Christ. Okay. (laughs) I really like Sash. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wow. (laughs) You really like those titles. Well, as a boot black, the, each title, as you gain like re, like local, regional, state, international, you get uh-huh. a pay raise. And oh, I was a professional okay. boot black, and that's what I did for a living. Oh, so wow. every title I got, I got more money for my craft. Wow, that's because interesting. People trust a back patch more than they trust a person who's been around without a back patch. Mm-hmm. Huh, that's interesting that we're going to have to talk a little bit about that whole system and everything because that's something that's kind of foreign to me. Um, all right, really cool. Well, looks like we have a lot to talk about here. I always like to sort of start out with like a coming out story or an origin story. You said you've been in the community for 20 years. When did you uh, personally come out to yourself as a gay man or a gendered faggot, if you will? I came out as for the first time at 14 mm-hmm. as bisexual um, because those were the easiest words to use for what I was into. Yeah, and it was pretty, uh, I came out like in my social group and I didn't really come out in home till I was like closer to 17. And like, yeah, I would like go to a bunch of youth groups and I was involved in like the Gay Straight Alliance in my high school. And, you know, I when I came out at 16 to like the folks in school, like I came out to myself at 14, but I came out to the folks in the Gay Straight Alliance at school at 16. Mm-hmm. It was like one of my best memories actually, because this older dyke in the group was like, oh, come on, we've got to go. And I was like, where are we going? And she's like, don't worry, winter break is starting. You can just get in the car and we'll just take off early. And I was like, skipping school? Like, I don't skip school. Yeah. So 
but I thought she was super hot. She was this, like older, long haired butch in like the late nineties <laughs> who wore like a leather jacket and a flannel tied around her waist. And I was like, you were just the hottest thing. Um, and so I got in her car and we went down to West Hollywood and she was like, we're going to cash your check from your grandma for Christmas. And we're going to go get you a leather jacket. And I was like, what? <laughs> so we went to this like, like leather clothing store around the corner from the Abbey. Uh-huh. And on the sale rack, there was this like $50 leather jacket that fit me like a glove. And I was like, that's where my Christmas money went. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. And that was my first piece of leather. And I like, to this day, I still have it and cherish it. And like, I slept in it. I was told that the way you break leather is in is by sleeping in it. So I slept in it for like three months. Oh my God. And I basically wore it every day. And I grew up in Southern California. So leather jackets in southern california even in the winter in like, yeah. it's, it's a warm experience yeah it's already like 80 degrees in winter like <laughs> that's so interesting because you're, you're not living in southern california currently right no i live up in portland oregon i've been here on and off for the last 18 years okay so you grew up here in like the la area mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah i grew up in agora hills actually oh nice okay um, I'm always curious to know, like, what what's it like to grow up in Southern California? Because I feel like it's such like a like a more liberal place to grow up in than than I did, and I just feel like life would have been so much easier. But maybe it wasn't. I don't know. Like coming out to your family and friends was that something that was like completely foreign to them? No, my mom always wanted to pretend she was a social liberal. And so she was like, I've read the Christina Jorgensen story and I know about queer people and you should know about AIDS and oh, let's watch Philadelphia. And I was like, this is all really depressing. (laughs) (laughs) Your idea of queerness is really depressing. I'm not going to do that game. Um, So she didn't really care. It wasn't my gender. We had a lot of tumultuous stuff and I ended up um, getting kicked out of the house at about 16 for a little while, 17. And I ended up, uh, I ended up getting moved in with some dyke parents. Um, I was taken under the wing of a woman named Meredith Cott, who was half of the couple that was kicked out of Dodger Stadium for kissing. Oh wow! Yeah, because back in the day, gays weren't allowed to kiss in Dodger Stadium, and like now that, like last week, we were all talking about Pride Week at Dodger Stadium, and like twenty-two years ago, you weren't allowed to kiss your partner in Dodger Stadium, right? Like, so she and her partner at the time took me in and housed me and like showed me what butch femme was um and the way the inner workings of a good butch femme dynamic and i was taught how to be a man by butch dykes like butch dykes raised me at least as far as masculinity goes what are some of like the greatest lessons you've taken from like that experience you know kind of i guess being raised like you say by lesbians or butch dykes you got to raise the queer babies. Like even the ones that like hit our community at like 18 or 21 and don't really know how to adult or engage or like be themselves and be comfortable in being themselves. Like it's our job as older queers to help younger queers survive. And I feel really lucky because I've gotten taken into several leather families and queer families. And um, it's something I'm really interested in uh the jill carter says each one teach one i believe in each one teach five um Mm -hmm. because one's not enough especially as a boot black and i've got like a whole subsect on why you need to teach five boot blacks for every boot black but 
<laughs> I've taught many more than five. In fact, I have like a whole entourage that call me grandpa because Aww. I taught the people that taught them. And then, you know, the lineage grows. It's so funny. You say you've been in like the community for 20 years and like all of these things that kind of date you, but you, you look like you're like 25. So like, I'm like, where have you been? <laughs> I mean, that good brown skin. <laughs> mm. So where, where is your, your lesbian dyke moms currently? Um, well, they've separated. Okay. Uh, and one of them lives in Oklahoma. And we were out of touch since I was about 18 until about maybe a year ago, year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking for her and I found her finally on Facebook and because we eventually had a connection through a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, we talk fairly often. Um, she's living in Oklahoma. She's got a good life. Uh, she's interested in joining the women's leather community, and I'm interested in throwing her in the deep end. <laughs> so I'm curious to know. Um, oh gosh. Okay, that's jumping ahead. I'm gonna let. We'll go there in a second. <laughs> you have my mind, my mind racing now with different things. So wh- then, what is your relationship with your with your biological family at this point? I'm actually adopted, so my oh, okay. I don't know my biological parents. Um, I was sold private adoption, private attorney. Um, the woman who adopted me and I are currently not speaking um, based on political reasons. Okay. Um, um, I don't believe you can be a Republican and support queers. Okay. And that's kind of like where I stand with it, and especially as somebody with compound marginalization. Um and so we don't really talk, uh, mm-hmm. but you know, she did, she did her best and I wish her the best. And sometimes boundaries look like loving people from a distance. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, it sounds like you have a lot of wisdom behind that. Like a, a lot of people could let that be, you know, emotionally devastating. And I'm sure it was, but it seems like you've kind of wrapped your head around some of these things that are out of your control and, yeah, I have had a really, really, really traumatic childhood. Like, lots of violence, lots of sexual assault, lots of problems. My parents split when I was three. And when I lived in Florida from, like, three to seven, my life was really, really rough. And it didn't get much better when I moved out to the West Coast. Um, it just got differently bad. And that's not about me. There's a great book out there called Victims No Longer or Victims No More, and it's the first book written about men with sexual assault trauma hmm. um, and written for men. And it actually really helped me work through a lot of like, that's not about me. Like, that's their shit. And I can't change the past. So all I can do is stop the cycle. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And would you say that that, like, as unfortunate as that experience was, does that kind of inform how you operate with your leather families and your people that you call family today? It's taught me a whole lot about consent. Mm-hmm. And uh, my leather family today is like wide and fast and spans both coasts and, you know, parts of Canada. Like for me, leather family has shows up mm-hmm. like at the, at the end of the day, they show up where family of origin doesn't always show up right like like they don't feel those obligations and i feel like a lot of that has to do because queers 
rely on each other for survival. Mm-hmm. And in heteronormative family structures, that's not always the case. They expect you to like turn 18 and become self-reliant and exist on your own and not actually need support anymore. And that's, yeah. well, one, that's not real in today's society. And two, like, that's not what I want. You know, that's interesting. I mean, when I first moved to Los Angeles, it's where I first heard the term chosen family. And I mean, it's been hard because like my parents, they do love me, but it's difficult for them to love me because when I came out to them in their eyes, I became a different person than what they knew. And and it's hard to describe to someone who you've lived your whole life with, like, this is the person I've always been. I'm just finally opening up and showing you all of who I am. And then like, that's where the real test of love comes into play. Like, if you love someone, you love them no matter what. And like, love is unconditional. And I'm not going to make this interview about me, but I'm going to relate here because recently the two people I was most afraid of telling that I was gay were my grandparents who like came here straight from Mexico. Like my grandfather had like a second grade education, like couldn't read still to the day he died. Like that generation, um, super Catholic all that stuff. Well, I recently got married. So I figured now's the, now, maybe now's a good time. I don't know. So I told my grandparents and what I've been waiting to hear from my, the rest of my family who would never say this. I was like shaking. They said, God made you who you are. Love is unconditional. And we love you no matter what, as long as you're happy. And I was yeah. floored. I was floored because just in that one statement, it showed me like what real love really looks like, what it can look like. And that's what like chosen family can do for you. People love you no matter what it is. It's actually like the grandparent generation in my experience that has been more accepting of any of my weirdness than it has ever been the parent generation, regardless of my parents or just people of that age bracket. Like I found more pushback from folks in the age range of like, I don't know, now between like 60 and 80 than I have ever experienced from folks that are now between like 80 and 100. Which is weird to me, but like in some ways, I guess it makes sense too. Like, I don't know. I just imagine if I'm like 80 years old, I don't give a fuck what you're doing with your life as long as you're happy. (laughs) Like, I don't have that many years to worry about what you're doing. (laughs) And I think that's real, right? Like, I think that that's a real component of it. I think that the like coming to terms with who they are in their experience, in their existence, yeah. helps them hold more space for who we are, mm-hmm. no matter who we are, right? Like, right, right. Um, okay, so let's talk a, a little bit about your gender identity. And I'm, well, I do want to ask you, first of all, what your thoughts are on the term faggot, because, you know, for a lot of people, like, especially this generation, or the, the older generation, they'll say, like, you know, those words like queer and faggot are triggering, because it's been used in the past as like an aggressive way to talk down to people. So how did you culminate your thoughts around that gender identity for yourself? I love the word faggot. Um, I love the word faggot because it's supposed to make people extremely uncomfortable and is often used as a derogatory slur. Uh And when you're like, yup, I'm a faggot, you cruising me? Hmm. the dudes who are bringing it as an aggressive term immediately back down and like freak out back down. Um, 
but I started writing with the Radical Fairies um, in like 2008, maybe. Okay. And they showed me different ways to be a feminine man. And like, I'm not a feminine man. I identify as butch. Um, and I am in a butch femme dynamic with my boy. He is absolutely the femme. He will put on heels or a skirt or makeup or whatever and looks great and has a jock strap. And usually Wes goes on to go with it, right? Like, And so for me, being a fag, it was like radically reclaiming a political identity that's also a sexual identity that's also a physical identity mm. um, and for me the term faggot correlates with the term dyke which i was always taught the word dyke was a political working class term right like dykes are the blue collar ones dykes are the ones that the femme dykes are the ones that often have ended up in sex work um and so those were the ways those words were taught to me in the 90s mm-hmm. and so when I, I was in a gay youth group and the guy who ran the show was named Sean Michael and he uh, he identified as a faggot and he was a big old Nelly queen and charming mm-hmm. and taught us kids like how to be ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. So when I ran into the fairies and there was like this radical faggotry and they and there's a book called Radical Fair, uh, it's called faggots and their friends between generations and it's about what radical faggotry is and how faggots are not the ones trying to assimilate into the cis hetero world of man mm-hmm. right like faggots are not trying to pass as straight like faggots are proud about being men who love men faggots are people who are not interested in being in the closet or assumed in the closet Mm-hmm. you know and so like for me as somebody who walks in the world as a butch dude i'm a faggot the first thing i drop is my husband dot 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 right like yeah i'm not here to be ashamed of who i love or how i love and if that makes people uncomfortable get comfortable being uncomfortable it sounds like there's a lot of power behind holding that term as like an identity for yourself yeah and it, it's like a true like i'm not ashamed i'm standing out here i'm courageous kind of thing and it's interesting that the thought process behind you accepting that term for your identity is also kind of similar to not just an identifier of your sexual identity, but also like a political statement as well. You know, um, can we talk a little bit about the fairies? Because my experience sure. and knowledge with the fairies is as extensive as one Queerest Folk episode from the 90s. Which is a cute episode. <laughs> it is a cool episode. That's my only reference of the fairies. And this is like maybe the only other time I've heard of someone ever being involved. Oh, honey, we should take you camping. Okay. <laughs> um, fairy land. So I've been, there are five sanctuaries in the U.S., one of which is on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, which I've never been to, but I've made it to the other four. Okay. Um, and I got started through Wolf Creek, which is in Southern Oregon. And uh, Wolf Creek seems like the finishing school. Like after I've traveled all the lands, mm-hmm. like Wolf Creek seems like the finishing school. They are very high in the woo. There's a fire pit that's like dug down into the earth. Um, there is a lot of ritual. You wear whatever the fuck you want. I have seen so many queens like wielding chainsaws in stilettos. Like, like there's nothing like an out and proud, proud faggot standing in their power in these like high heeled boots, chopping up logs larger than me. 
like that's powerful mm-hmm. and like watching like when you get when i first arrived like hugs were a thing um and so like everyone would say welcome home and hug you and like actually include you in the land so you got a lot of physical touch yeah. and these lands came, came about because well wolf creek in particular um when the guys were dying like in large mass a lot of folks didn't want their bodies and they didn't have anywhere to put them hmm. and so wolf creek ended up getting purchased from a queer man because before then it was like a rich it was like a religious land for gay men um and now it's run by a church called nominus which it's heavy in the woo there are so many bodies of our ancestors there like they're just lists and lists of names and i am someone who i identify as very woo i absolutely believe that we can have conversations with our ancestors and have connection with our ancestors and so for me like fairies were where you got to go be yourself Uh like no expectations and like if you weren't taught something because it wasn't stereotypical of your gender expectation you could go learn those things like i can't tell you how many men ended up in the kitchen for the first time learning not just how to cook for themselves but how to cook for a gathering of 100 people right and like often men get run out of kitchen spaces in their home lives Mm -hmm. you know or like i can't tell you how many dykes have come around and like learned how to use chainsaws or work on trucks or you know manage whatever because it's just okay to share those knowledge bases there yeah Um, and so wolf creek was really good to me and then there's a place in new mexico called zuni which is gorgeous and that feels like um like middle school there's a lot of games and a lot of play and a lot of fun and uh for me that's just how that felt and then there's a spot in tennessee which feels like a retirement community for me because it's not just the land that's run by the fairies but it's like all these other lands they call it the gaperhood okay and so it's like elders have bought more comfortable houses in the area right so they have a whole generation that doesn't really show up at wolf creek because wolf creek is still rough in it um, okay and then there's destiny which is up in vermont and that is a summer camp like literally they're only open nine months out of the year um and it it feels like summer camp like they have a beautiful <laughs> kitchen they have amazing grounds they've got tent platforms you're like 20 minutes to an actual town that's like it feels like it's the closest one to civilization out of the lands okay uh, and their civilization is still like a small rural town but fairies are like a place where i learned to be really comfortable loving men um because in society they're like you shouldn't do that yeah like i got really comfortable touching other men in intimate ways that were non-sexual huh. and um that was really important to me and i find like that's something that's often mm-hmm. overlooked in gay men's community like people engage with people they find sexually viable and huh. touch people they want to have sex with but like we all as humans need touch and there's something really valuable about touching people you love and care about who you're not interested in fucking or who you might be interested in fucking and willing to wait five years to get there yeah right like um i am a long game player that's the way i tend to operate because it doesn't always have to be sexual could be like that's like like you say affection i remember uh being in or not being in high school being in, in college and coming out on my good one of my best friends grew up with since kindergarten comes over and he puts his arm around me. I put my arm around him. That, that was our relationship. Always has been. But for some reason, now that there's knowledge that I'm gay, 
my parents had a talk with me afterwards and they said you can't put your arm around him and i'm like we've been doing that my whole life why like we're not having sex he's straight like (laughs) you know and there is i think that kind of like that fear and like we've been told no our whole lives so it sounds like a useful kind of environment to put yourself in where all of that is okay to be taught how to do that yeah you can really put your shields down right like and i'm not saying fairy land is all fucking sunshine and roses it's absolutely got its bullshit too like Mm. i've been at gatherings where sexual assaults have happened i've been at gatherings where elders defended the people that drugged and raped people um because they they were sexually interested in that person and not the person that was assaulted so like there's absolutely like a down and dirty side to the fairies too but for me when i like to look at it i like to you know look at the better memories Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot that you got out of it for yourself yeah my boy came back to me on at wolf creek like Mm -hmm. that place will always be have a part of my heart now what does it mean to be woo oh um tree hugging dirt worshiper who talks to rocks okay (laughs) okay um i'm jewish if like if you ask me my religion i'm jewish Uh um and i'm a tree hugging dirt worshiper who talks to rocks okay so that is like kind of the descriptive like so like the the closest thing i can think to relate to is like like hippie-ish kind of like Uh, spiritual um... more with pagan twist but not pagan because so here's the thing fairies take a bunch of different non monotheistic religions and kind of throw them in a blender and you come out with woo right Uh, got it so yes it's problematic in a list of ways but the way i approach it is like everyone can talk to rocks if you want to talk to rocks everyone can hug trees if you want to hug trees everyone can talk to spirit if you want to talk to something larger than yourself mm-hmm. and for me the way i connect to that is getting outside and you know sitting by a stream things like that wow that's awesome i feel like there's like a, a plethora of roads we can i feel like we can have six of these episodes <laughs> <laughs> talk about so many different things well that's so interesting so when was the last um fairy gathering that you went to then oh that was a bad time um so the last fairy gathering i went to i actually was a coordinator for and we created a bipoc only zone okay and the white fairies didn't like that very much and they also didn't like it when i called them racist for being racist um and so they kind of ran me out of town about it okay so instead what i do now is i host kinky queer weekend which is a mashup of like fairy ingenuity, spiritual baseline, and kink. Okay. Um, where we center people that are often run out of community, like folks you'd find on the edges, people of color, trans folks, disabled folks, fat folks, femme folks. And so I've taken a lot of my experience in life and I'm interested in creating new spaces. Um, I identify as a gnome, not a fairy. So while I went to fairylands and things, I've always, mm, I find fairies to be more in tune with the air element and willing to shift like the wind. And I am more in tune with like fire and earth. Okay. And like water when it comes to shifting, meaning I want it to take a long time and be gradual and be permanent. So for me, I identify as a gnome and my long-term goal is to eventually purchase a summer camp um through 
a various list of ways I raise money mm-hmm. and uh, turn it into a mixture of like a leather retreat and a fairy woo space okay. where we can dismantle some of the problematic behaviors that happen in other gathering spaces. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like there's like a lot of education that needs to happen. And all of us come from different backgrounds. And some of us have come from places where, you know, we weren't told that this was wrong, or that that was racist, or sometimes that needs to have your eyes opened about certain things. And (laughs) there was one moment where you like, called, you know, some people out in our in our leather talks, and I'm like, Oh, I never even that never even crossed my mind that that might be something that could come across as, you know, offensive to someone. And Like, that's the kind of eye-opening discovery things that we need to have. And what I really appreciate, sorry, appreciate about the way that you approach those situations is like from a place of education. Like, hey, I don't know if you see this. Let me show you. And it allows discovery. And then there's like a way forward after that. Absolutely. And people love to like label me as the loud, angry brown dude. (laughs) And like, because... By the time I'm loud and angry about it, it means that a bunch of people with more systematic privilege than me have been silent. Mm -hmm. And for me, I believe that everyone can grow, learn, and change. And I believe we all have the capacity to do better. And when somebody is like, hey, this thing you did is super fucked up in this way, the response should be, thank you for bringing that to my attention. I will change my behavior moving forward. And then if you need to unpack that, go find other people to have the conversation to unpack that with. Like, yeah. It is not the person who's calling out your bullshit. Like calling out bullshit is an act of love. Yeah. It's it's, an act of love. And it's not your responsibility, like you said, to like fully unpack that for every person that you speak with. And it really should just be enough to point it out. Yeah. I also believe that like education is like hoarding knowledge is the most selfish thing you can do. Hmm. Yeah. Like it's free to share share it widely with anyone who's interested. Mm-hmm. And I get like not wanting to waste one's own capacity by like repeating the same shit all the time. Yeah. But like I have boot blacks who wanted to learn how to boot black. And my answer is, well, come by the stand. Like you want to learn, come by the stand. Yeah. We can talk. And once you show an effort, I'm willing to maybe have a one-on-one conversation with you outside of the stand, but come by the stand. I'm going to show you the most about boots while I have a pile of boots walking through my stand. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's the thing that I'm also, I'm a violin, I'm a violin teacher as well, Mm -hmm. a performer. That's the one thing that I love about being an educator is that you literally see people's lives change in front of you, even just from one moment, even if they only have one encounter with you, people's lives are changed when you share knowledge with them. You know, it can be incredible. Do you have a dog in the background snoring? Yes, I do. Oh my gosh. What's your dog's name? Um, that's Ghosty. She is my working service dog and oh. she's been with me for about five years. And her snoring is like the most calming thing on the she planet, if so- you ask me. <laughs> she's this cute little blue headed blue blockhead and she uh she's short and stocky just like me. And uh, oh. I love her. She's my princess. At first I thought there was like a vacuum or something, and then I was like, that sounds like a dog because I have a, a big dog. And he snores as well. It sounds like very similar. <laughs> Sorry about that. No, that's super cute. <laughs> Your dog's famous now. I mean, the, the she's pretty famous. <laughs> Everybody loves Ghosty. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, so let's talk about your your leather life. 
as well, because it seems like there's so many different parts of you that come together in one person. And I'm just interested to hear how that came about. So you have your first piece of leather when you're, what was it, like 16 16. years old? But then you're also going to the the fairy weekends and you find part of yourself there and, and being raised by dykes. How does that come all come together? Well, we should backtrack. Okay. So to go forward, we have to go backwards. I was dressed in sailor suits for the first three years of my life. What? Yeah, like little military-style sailor suit outfits. I wore them for the first three years of my life. Got it. Okay. Mm -hmm. By the time I was five, I had a leather Ferrari jumpsuit that I basically lived in. And I went to a Jewish day school where we had to wear uniforms. And I was like... Well, I'm going to wear what the boys wear. That's how that's going to work. And they were like, okay, whatever. So you're in uniforms from like day one. Yeah, I was in uniforms for day one. And really, if you look at my wardrobe, I still wear a uniform. Like I wear t-shirts and shorts in this section of the year. I wear blue jeans and t-shirts this section of the year. The t-shirts are either leather themed, fun themed, or plain, like depending on where I'm going. I've got a short list. Like when I go to leather events, I've got my outfits all lined out. Like I'm, it's been easier for me. I, uh... I have a list of neurodivergence. And so one of the things that's really helped me has been like structure and organization around those things. And uniforms have always been better for me than like having a wardrobe to pick from. I see. So that kind of like everything's organized. It has its place. Do you think that's also why you kind of identify with, with the gnome, like having some kind of like a more of a foundational. Yeah. I'm also a triple cancer. So it's all about like the home and nesting for me. Mm -hmm. So, but I got involved. Okay. So leather. When I was 18, I had a friend named Tommy whose girlfriend was moving back to our hometown and he was moving to San Francisco. So they were breaking up. And Tommy said, please take really good care of her. Okay. And Tommy and I had played back in the day and I didn't. And she was like, hi, he told me that you're going to take really good care of me. I hear you're this big, bad leather daddy who's into bondage. And I was like, sure. Sounds great. That's awesome. I'm going to go hit Barnes and Noble tomorrow. Um, <laughs> and I went and got my hands on any kink, kink adjacent, kink theory book I could find hmm. at Barnes and Noble in like 2000. Okay. Um, so the list was short, but they would order me anything I wanted. So I got like Screw the Roses and Send Me to the Thorns, Dossie Eason's Topping Book, like some uh, Midori's book on Shibari. Like I just became a nerd about it. Um, because I didn't really know where to focus my energy and elsewhere. I was in a denim job, and I, I am a kind. I'm the kind of guy that really likes to study things that are Mm -hmm. interesting. So she and I ended up in a relationship. I was her daddy, and she was my girl. And I was like 18, 19, 20, 21 when we were together. Um, and we moved, and like she was like, "Oh, there's this leather group in Santa Barbara called Headspace. You should go check them out." And I was like, "Great!" And it was like a bunch of it was the Drag King troupe who like had kinky themed nights places. And I was like, "Great, let's go!" So like a bunch of dykes taught me about flogging and DS, and like they'd have workshops, and I'd show up. And like when I was when I went to my first youth conference at like seventeen, uh, there was a how to make your own sex toys class. Okay. And I was like, well, clearly that's where I should go. It was Young, Loud, and Proud, and it was in the Bay, hosted by Lyric. Um, And so I went to this class, and they were all talking about their favorite sex toys. And I was kind of new to the whole sex toy game. I was like, you know, sex toys. Um, And they were like, here's how you make a flogger out of a shower curtain. And I was like, well, isn't that cute? (laughs) (laughs) Can we talk about bondage ties? Um, 
because I've been doing bondage since I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Like my best buddy and I, who were we were in karate together, he really loved to make films, and all of our movies were about paratroopers stuck in trees. All of them. <laughs> So it's basically wow. just kids tying each other up, hanging from trees. So okay. suspension bondage 101, you know? And like, that's how we did it back in the day. Like, yeah. that's where I got started. I've always been kinky. I have memories like on the playground of role playing Mr. Belvedere. I had such a thing for him um, with his sweater vest. I was like, <laughs> he's so handsome. And I was just wanted to spank all the children. I didn't understand why he didn't spank all the children. So I would like role play Mr. Belvedere and spank all the children on the playground. Or like we would role play Pippi Longstockings and I would be like, well, I'm Pippi Longstockings clearly because I'm going to lock you in the box. <laughs> like, <laughs> So I've always, like, looking back, I've always had those kink games. But, like, yeah. I got involved in leather when I moved to Oregon. Um, I moved to Oregon during Oregon Leather Pride Week in 2004. Oh, my God. Yeah. And I didn't know it was Oregon Leather Pride Week. I had gone to the youth center in town, and they were like, well, it's Oregon Leather Pride Week. You should go to the Eagle. And I was like, yeah, sounds great. Not 21, had a fake ID. Um, and so I went to the Eagle, and I walked in with my girl on my arm, and the whole room was like dudes over six feet tall in leather stacked ass to balls. And I was like, where are my people? These are not queers. Where are my people? And I found this dyke across the room. Her name's Allison Britton. And she had just won Miss Oregon state leather. And I beeline it for her in this nice gray haired butch behind her. And I was like, where are our people? And she was like, Oh honey, here's the address and she writes down an address on a piece of paper and doesn't tell me where it is what i'm doing or where i'm going she says use your real id at the door i will be checking when i get there (laughs) and i was like wow what are you talking about i'm 21. (laughs) um and so i turned to my girl and i was like let's go and she's like where are we going and i was like that woman said we're going here and i have like this little address so she's like, okay. And we like looked it up and like figured out how to get there. Cause luckily Portland's built on a grid. So you can like find the addresses based on the quadrant and the street number. So okay. like 65th and Foster is like Southeast 6504 or whatever. Got it. Southeast Foster. Nothing it's very like easy. Los Angeles with the no. fucking veins of highways and shit. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, and so, and Portland's small comparatively, like you can get across town in 20 minutes. Okay. Um, and so like, I go to this place and there's, I walk in and it's just a bunch of queers of all different genders, like in leather playing. And it's like my first play party and my eyes are like bugging out of my head. And I walk in the back and my girl was wearing like this little Betty Page dress with polka dots on it. And I'm wearing a white, a white t-shirt, blue jeans, boots, leather suspenders, and a hat. And I walk in and there's a couple across the room and the girl is wearing a polka dot dress and the butch is wearing the same clothes I have on. Wow. And I was like, these are my people. And to this day, I'm still friends with that butch. Like, <laughs> wow. like these are my people. Um, mm-hmm. And so I went in and, and she was like, these are not my people. Huh. And so I started diving deep into Portland's leather community. And I was like, you can go to classes. There are workshops about this. There's like, what? And this was like pre-internet. So like it was internet, but it wasn't like internet of today internet. Right. It's and like so, where you click on a photo and it takes 20 minutes to load. It's not really it, functional yet. No. And it wasn't social media at all. Yeah. Right. Like, 
So I, you would find out things through word of mouth. So I'd go to the dike bar and I'd find out about events. And then like people would be like, Hey, there's this thing, come to this thing. And then I started getting invited to the Portland Leatherman's potluck, which is PS. If you are ever in Portland on the second Saturday of the month and you are a Leatherman, the Portland Leatherman's potluck is probably the most charming event I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. Cause it is a bunch of gay men who are between the ages mainly of like 55 and 80. Okay. Um, who have been doing this for 35 years. And it's a potluck that rotates houses. And so, like, they mm-hmm. show each other up by cooking really well. So the food is really good. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just a bunch of, like, friendly dudes in gear eating food. And it's, like, cruisy, but not, like, handsy cruisy and not, okay. like, dark alley cruisy. It's like, oh, do you want to negotiate for a scene at the play party next week? And it doesn't, like, devolve into play. It's just a really charming time. And sometimes you can get them to talk about old stories if you, like, are charming and poke at them in the right way. Yeah. Because I love history, and I think that's why I really like when I found out about, about your podcast. Like, I love what you're doing okay. because I have such a love of leather history. And for me, it's all oral tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got thrown in Portland's deep end and people were like, come here child. And they like back and me into like different events. And they were like, you're going to be a volunteer for this. And like different leather folks would just like grab me under their wing and be like, we're not letting you out of our sight because you are a young sadist and dominant. And you think, you know, everything and you are not even 21 yet child. And I was like, (laughs) I know everything. And they're like, you don't know a damn thing. But we can call you little baby daddy. Like, that seems fine. <laughs> little baby daddy. Little That's baby daddy. <laughs> seems fine. Well, because I had a girl. Like, I was yeah. like, I'm a daddy. I have a girl. You can't tell me what to do. And they're like, yeah. child. But, like, I started going to the contests and I started checking things out. And, like, it was the last year. So I ended up in a leather family because there was a Wednesday night at a bar called Embers where it was, like, kink theme night. And, like, people would play on stage, and, like, I eventually became one of the people who played on stage after I turned 21. And, like, I never got into Embers underage. They always scanned their IDs at the door. But you could perform underage there. If you, like, got through the back door, you could, like, go and not get off the stage, which was great because you got to see all sorts of performers through there. And this leather family took me in and I ended up in this leather family that was like the leather family of Portland. Like there was really only one really big active family. And so I got thrown in and then there was this photo at a contest where Judy Tallwing, do you know who she is? No. Judy Tallwing was the first international Miss Leather and she's from Portland, Oregon. Okay. She currently resides in Baltimore, Maryland. And she is wonderful. And she's Grandma Judy to like everyone. So they said, this is Judy's last time as our head judge. If you want a photo, if you're in Judy's leather family, come up on the stage. Well, I had no idea who Judy Tallman was. I was like new and young. All I knew is that my aunties were up on the stage and my uncles were up on the stage and my mamas and my daddy and my brother and my sisters and everyone I know in my leather family is up on the stage. And they said, last call, anyone in this leather family up on, come up on the stage. And I was like, well, that's my leather family. Like they said anyone in this leather family. So that's my leather family. So I went and I sat at the boots of Judy and I put my arm on her knee and I put my head kind of cocked mm-hmm. and she put her hand on my shoulder and they took some pictures. And at the end of it, she turns to me and she's like, hi, I don't think I know you. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I'm Scout. I'm Rick and Linda and Cheryl's boy. And uh, she said, well, I guess that makes me your grandma, Judy. And I was like, cool. Oh. And so like, she's been my grandma and like 
I got to ride in car rides with her from like Seattle to Portland or Portland to Seattle. And like, she'll just tell you stories. Like story time with grandma Judy is like one of my favorite things ever. And so I feel really lucky. I got like brought in and thrown in the deep end, like, and taken care of by leather elders and people who were like, Oh, you want to be a sick, twisted sadist? Come here. Let me show you how to do that in five times more painful ways. (laughs) It's so crazy to me. Like that you come from a home that, kicked you out of the house and finally you found like a family and you're not even 21 yet at this point who accepts you for who you are and like helps you even discover and go further to discover more about who you are like yeah like i live in the leather world i haven't had a straight job since i was 21 Mm -hmm. i'm 39 or 38 um i'll be 39 this year uh like at the end of the month um, oh my gosh, happy birthday. You have yeah. to remind me. Of I'm your... going to. I'm very excited for it. <laughs> oh, that's right. Uh, uh, your your episode, I bet you will air on the week of your birthday. Ooh, that'd be cute and terrifying. Um, <laughs> I will get you pictures by then. Uh, so, yeah. Um, yeah, I just feel really wow. lucky. Like, I just... They didn't want me to fall off the bandwagon and they cared whether I lived or died. And I thought that that was really important because a lot of the time I didn't care whether I lived or died. I was a really heavy drinker back then. Mm -hmm. Um, I stopped drinking. It'll be 15 years this August. Wow. Yeah. Um, So they held a lot of space for me to be a mess. Mm -hmm. Um, And they held a lot of space for me to grow up from being a mess. And a lot of folks didn't ever think I would grow up. And, like, I can't wait. Like, I dream of hosting the Portland Leatherman's Potluck at my house next year. Because I want to invite them all over to show them where where I've gone in life. Because they all saw me when I was, like, a tiny, like, hoodlum. Right? Like, and they've all been, like, oh, Scout. (laughs) That kid. You know? But what's so magical about that is not only do they care, but, like, you care. To show them like where you've gone because mm-hmm. like it's something that you're proud of, you know. Oh yeah. My ex told me I'd never amount to anything. And I said, I'm gonna get an international title, you watch me. Mm-hmm. And I did. It took me three tries, but I did it. If there was one thing that you would leave our audience with, maybe those who are kind of in the same shoes as as you, 16, 17 years old. This podcast is intended for audiences 18 years and older. But <laughs> Um, (laughs) but maybe in your same shoes trying to find their people i mean like what would be your message to them be unapologetically yourself and i learned that from a kid whose name i don't remember who showed up at this gay youth group i used to go to in ventura and he showed up and he was like he was a street kid he had been traveling he just told us like he was like i just got to town i've been living in a van with my ma'am and my boy and my and her other boy and like the three of us share a bed and i was like what are you even talking about and i was like well what are you up to later and he's like oh i'm going home and they're gonna put a bunch of needles in my chest and saran wrap me and then punch me about it and make me bleed it's my birthday i'm so excited he's like do you see this giant collar on my neck and i was like yeah and he's like do you know what that means and i was like no and he's like the bigger the collar the heavier the lock the harder the boy is to control huh and this boy's like 19 telling this to me at 17 and i'm like huh okay and to this day it's something that i think about when i see people with giant (laughs) chain collars on i'm like oh you must be a lot of work you're one of those yeah Mm -hmm. (laughs) because the collar my boy wear doesn't even have a lock on it huh 
Like, his day-to-day collar doesn't have a lock on it. He now has tattoos in his skin from me, but, like, that's a whole other story. Um, Yeah, so, like, I just feel really lucky that I learned that it was okay to be unapologetically yourself Mm -hmm. and that, like, do that because nobody else is going to live your life. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody else can live your life for you. You have to... You got to do it for yourself. And if you're doing it to appease your parents or you're doing it to appease your grandparents or you're doing it to appease society because they expect men to look like this and act like that, like, and you want to look a different way or act a different way, do it. Like, there's nothing wrong with being effeminate men. There's nothing wrong with being men who touch and care for other men. There's nothing wrong with it. And, like, that's some, like, colonizational bullshit. Like the fear of men touching men Mm -hmm. is colonialism. Because when you look at cultures that aren't white based, Anglo Saxon, Christian based cultures, like men touch each other. Yeah. Women touch each other. It's like not about fucking. Like they can just love and show love for one another. And I feel like we have to decolonize ourselves from that. I don't know. I feel like I got down a rabbit hole. I do that. No, you're good. You're good. Okay, well, we're going to take a quick break right here. <laughs> okay, so we are back, and oh, that was the longest piss dream of my life. <laughs> Hydration is good. I, I love, it's so funny because my friends are like, you always have to pee, but you know what? I'm always ready for water sports. That's why I drink so much water, you know? You and me both, dear. You and me both. <laughs> Um, okay, so I wanted to talk with you a little bit because kind of going back to um, your first encounter like with the quote-unquote leather community where you walked into that eagle for the first time and you, your first thought was, where are my people at? And it that kind of strikes me because I think that when people walk into the leather scene, if you will, they might think that that's the only thing it is and maybe they don't belong because that's they don't see themselves on in, in that category or whatever. Um, where was that differentiation for you? Because you consider yourself leather, but when you walked into that bar, that wasn't your people. Yeah. Um, so that wasn't my people because I'm queer. Mm-hmm. And that bar was all cis dudes. Okay. And all of, I would say the vast majority of them were white. Okay. And I'm not white. And I had a girl in tow. And she was like, where are the dykes? And yeah. I was like, well, there are two of them. They're across the way. So for me, I my community is more diverse than cis white men. <laughs> like, the community I want to build is more diverse than cis white men. The community I want to participate in is more than cis white men. And so when I walked in and I was like, where are my people? Like... I don't want to stand around and drink. Uh-huh. I want to hit you with things. I want to tie you up. Like, I'm happy to do it in a bar, but like, let's play. Like, yeah. I'm here to have a good time. Okay. And I love to play in, in public. And like, that's something I learned as I, so I started, so I went to that play party and I found my people and my people were like, no, 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 the Eagle is our space. And I was like, okay, well, so they invited me like Dyke Night at the Eagle or they invited me to like different nights at the Eagle. And so I'd get invited to events and I always had nice boots. My boots were always well cared for. And I've been taking care of my own boots since I was like eight. 
I love shining boots. I climbed up on the washer dryer and got a can of polish and put a mirror shine on a pair of plastic boots. Um, I thought they were leather. I was like eight. Um, so people were like, oh, do you boot black? And I was like, well, no. Like I'd sat for a boot black in Santa Barbara at a drag king show. And I'd sat for a boot black at LA Pride who taught me some great things. Um, mm-hmm. Her name is Slapeboy Eddie and or Uncle Eddie. And uh, she taught me that you can put color underlays on polish and it will help bring out a resonance of the shine. And she was like, I love to put green on boys boots. And I was like, I'm a daddy, sir. And she was like, okay, so we can go with blue. (laughs) And I was like, yeah. And so she put a blue undercoat and it really gives a depth and richness to the shine. And then we, she put a red underlay on my girl's boots at the time. Uh And I was like, this is what I want to do. And so I started doing my own boots and her boots when I was in Portland and people were like, I hear you're a boot black. And I was like, I mean, I wouldn't say that. I like boots though. And then I'd start to go out and this guy named Sean Patrick, it was 2005. And he was like, I'm running for the local title. And I was like, cool, have a good time. And so he won Columbia community boot black. And then he was like, I'm running for Northwest community boot black. If I win, I'm going to not be at our home bar all the time. I hear you boot black. Would you mind working the stand? And I was like, 21 and green 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 and i was like sure like okay so i started working the stand and like he was like i'm gonna make sure you can pass the test first and he gave me two pair of boots he gave me a pair of doc martin high shines and he gave me a pair of fry oil tans and i had only ever known that high shines existed so i put a high shine on both pair of boots Mm -hmm. and i brought the boots back to him at the dirty duck which is now closed where he was working and i was like I did them and he's like, why'd you put a shine on these? And I was like, cause you told me to shine both pairs. And he's like, these are oil tans. And I was like, well, what's an oil tan? Hmm. He's like, it's a different kind of boot. You got to clean and condition this boot here. Come here, go get. And he gave me a short shopping list that I could go get at the corner store. We're going to strip these boots down and I'll show you. And I, so I sat at the dirty duck and drank a pitcher beer and learned how to do a pair of oil tans which is like cleaning condition oil tans is all all about the foot rub you give to the person in your chair Mm -hmm. and making it look really sexy um and so he was like cool well i'm gonna go run for this title i need you to work the bar and i was like great so i would occasion i would work the bar on the leather nights and it was the eagle in downtown portland so you'd walk in and take a right and there are like three stairs and then there's like a cubby under the stairs okay and then you walk up some more stairs and like wraps around it's like a not spiral but like an l shaped long staircase and up on one edge is the dj's booth and under that cubby nook under the stairs they put a barber chair and a milk crate and that was the boot stand i learned how to work on wow because back in the day like fancy boot stands weren't like a thing in the bars here like boot blacks worked i worked on so many bar stools and milk crates like i can't count them um because i wanted to work and for me it was about getting the time at the stand and i learned that i could make money that way so and i was weird like i was a weird kid and i was just figuring out like what was going on with my life and my gender and my presentation like how i was gonna walk in the world and I got to hang out under the boot stand and people got to watch me grow into myself down there. And I learned that the leather men are my people, mm-hmm. you know, it's not just the leather queers, but the leather men are my people because we have all these values and traditions and we're all actually cut from the same hide, you know? Um, 
and I got really welcomed in, but it was the bear community that really like was like, come here, kiddo. <laughs> and I yeah. always wanted to be a bear. I was like, I'll never forget being 19 at gay days at Disneyland in LA. And like, everyone was wearing red shirts and I was wearing a museum de erotica shirt. And there was a big group of bears and they were like, we're taking a bear photo. Any bears in the area want to get in the picture? And I was like, I do. And I like jumped in front and I was like, <laughs> bald faced 19. You seem to jump in front of a lot of photos. <laughs> I, you know, I might have a photo fetish. I, I actually do, um, I do phone sex work and I sell photo content on the internet now. Okay. Um, as a way to raise money for kinky queer weekend to exist. Uh, so wow. yeah it's um i find it really 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 charming um i think that selling pictures of my feet to people and it's usually like cis white dudes with money um to fund an <laughs> event that supports queer trans non-binary people of color like that's like that's really funny it feels Not like robin hood and it's so satisfying <laughs> it's like yeah <laughs> You figured that out. You figured out how to work the system or something. I mean, <laughs> hustler's gonna hustle, right? Right. right. Like, I learned th one boot blacking can absolutely be sex work, um, and two, like, sex work makes money. Like, I grew up in the days of Craigslist, where like I could wrestle dudes for a hundred bucks when I needed some cash. Like. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And you know? that can actually be like pretty lucrative, right? If you get enough like back to back. I mean, it supported my lifestyle in Portland, but I also like lived in a one bedroom apartment with up to three other people for like mm -hmm. 400 bucks a month. So like I remember the whole apartment days. was 400 bucks a month, right? Oh, like, oh my God. No, I, was yeah, gonna yeah. Say, I remember the days of $400 rent. Like those are long no, no. gone. hundred <laughs> dollar like rent. That is like, wild. Or like we used to throw kink parties. So when I upgraded from the apartment to a house, the house was known for throwing punk parties and it had like a checkerboard basement floor and red glittered walls. And like we built a play space down there. Um, and me and this boy, Sean, uh, built a play space down there. And it was like my cross that I built several years prior on a wall, an old tire that we like scrubbed clean uh -huh. Tied a rope to be a tire swing hanging from the thing. Okay. A couple of like really shoddy cardboard glory hole booths where the person in the glory hole is under the stairs in the basement. <gasps> right? Like it was hot. What? It was hot. And like a bed in the corner and then like a weird like wheelchair that reclined into a gurney. And like we had all sorts of shit that I because I would go to the bins and I'd find random things. I'm like, this is kinky. Let's bring it home. <laughs> so wow. we would throw play parties and like that's how we would rent like pay rent sometimes or cover bills or like whatever. I was like, bring money and a potluck item because, wow. you know, and I just wanted like Craigslist was great. I loved Craigslist. Craigslist was like the epitome of my kink network beginning, right? Mm -hmm. Like the ability to like find other like-minded freaks who was like, I was like, I want to practice bondage. Anybody want to just come get tied up and hang for my suspension sling and like frame in the living room. And like, I'm not trying to fuck you. Like just trying to tie you up. I tied up all sorts of folks. Yeah. Like, <laughs> 
I just, you know. So back to boot blacking. Sorry, I oh, no, don't you're, know. You're, I'm like I'm. I love the way you tell stories because it gives me a visual, and I'm just like seeing this movie play out in my mind right now. I am very ADD, but most of the time I will make it back to the subject at hand. So so boot blacking. So boot blacking. So, so Sean. <laughs> So Sean goes up to run for Northwest, and then he wins Northwest, and then uh-huh. Sean goes on to run for International, and then he wins International. And then, like, halfway through his international year, he basically moved to Baltimore. Okay. And I was like, okay, there's a boot stand here at the Eagle, and he's like, it's yours now, enjoy. And I was like, cool, so I just bootblacked the Portland Eagle for years, and I didn't get another job because... It was not like I made enough money. Can I just say right now, like that gives me, I have chill moments. That That's a chills moment for me because it's like something that you've earned, you worked for, and it was passed down from the previous generation to you with like the, the expectation that you, and, and the knowledge that you were going to like cherish that, honor it, and like continue to, What's the word that I'm looking for? Um, like foster that environment and that that whole position. Like it, it's being passed down to you with honor, you know? Yeah, I mean, so I have earned the right to wear every type of leather I own. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've made my own rules about how to earn a pair of boots. Um, as a boot black, I've got a whole metric and that's how I help my boys earn boots. Um, but for me, like that, I was raised by a family that identified as old guard and I don't identify as old guard because I think a lot of old guard tendencies, um, perpetuate oppression in a list of ways, Mm -hmm. but I do identify as old school. And I also find a really big difference between East coast and West coast leather culture when it comes to what old guard even is, because on the East coast, I find a lot of it comes out of military-based traditions. And on the West Coast, I find a lot of it comes out of biker-based traditions. Hmm. Um, and so I feel like there's, like, the all-boys-call-all-sir-sir thing. That's an East Coast jam. Uh-huh. Like, on the West Coast, you call your sir sir, and you call your boy a boy. And that's where that ends, because it's about negotiated mm-hmm. dynamics and respect that's been earned. That's interesting that you said that, because there was a California title holder that mm-hmm. that mentioned that. Yeah, on this podcast as well. Yeah, like, like, and it's it's something that I've learned over the years, and like with my um, privilege to be able to travel in community and do what I do. Like, I lived in a van for three years and drove around boot blacking and putting boot blacks in the van. Um, my hat, my tagline is "Get trust in the process, get in the van." Uh, <laughs> and that's like Kinky Queer Weekend's tagline. Like, we will literally pick you up at the airport in a van. No, you don't know where you're going. Please Just trust tell me us. You have merch that we can buy on your website. Because... I mean, I have a T-shirt campaign I can relaunch. Yes. <laughs> um, but yeah, like I just, I really love being leather. Mm-hmm. And I really value what has come before me because like, I can't imagine losing all of my community to HIV quickly. Like that's, yeah. I didn't have to live through that. I do have to live through my trans family killing themselves all the time Mm. or being murdered. Like that's something I'm living through. And that's, yeah. That affects me in a really real way. And it's not the same 
And I can see parallels into the way that trauma can manifest, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but I got lucky. I got thrown under a boot stand and I got to do what I needed to do. And I started making $5 tips. Yeah. Um, and so Sean was like, you should run for the Columbia community boot black title. And I was like, okay. And so I ran for it. Mm -hmm. And when I won it, I started making like five to $10 tips. Hmm. Um, and, uh, and he was like, and if you ran for that title, you had to, it was a feeder for the Northwest title. Okay. So I ran for that title and I lost, <clears throat> but I was like, I want to do this. And, um, Jane remain, who was the producer of that Northwest contest said to me, he, right before I lost, he was like, win, lose or draw. Are you ready for your life to change forever? And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, do you know why I do this? And I was like, no. And he's like, I had such a good time as a title holder my year. I'm interested in creating years for other people to have. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay. And like, I get that now as somebody who's like, I'm producing an intergalactic contest because I want <laughs> yeah. good time, you know, like, um, and so I ran and I lost and I didn't run again for several years. Um, but I was still a boot black and I worked that patch any chance I could. So uh -huh. that year in 2007, I ended up going to IMSL for my first time. Okay. And uh, I was poor, so I worked my way into all events. And IMSL was in San Francisco and I didn't have anywhere to sleep. But I was told there was a volunteer area where we could like get snacks. So I just assumed I would like crash in the volunteer area. So I'm at IMSL and I try to go to bed in the volunteer area and the volunteer area got locked at 11 PM. No. So, and I was like living off of peanut butter, jelly sandwiches and like Costco muffins this weekend. Cause that's what they offered us in the volunteer area. PS thanks Glenda Ryder for doing that yeah, for real. Um, so I was like, where am I going to sleep? So I went and they were like, well, 24 hour dungeon space. And I was like, cool, 24 hour dungeon space. I can do this. I took my little backpack, which had like my boot kit and all my outfits for the weekend in it. And I went and I found a spot in the dungeon that was a dog cage. And I went and laid down and took a nap in the dog cage. Uh -huh. And then I took my boots off. And this lovely housekeeping staff woman at like 4.30 in the morning comes in vacuuming and starts bumping my feet. And she's like, did your person leave you? And I was like, oh yes, I must have fallen asleep after my scene and my person left me. Whoops. And she was like, well, you can't sleep here, kiddo. And I was like, Aww. okay, great. So it's 4 a.m. and she's like super kind to me. I'm like, well, where am I gonna go? And I'm like looking around this hotel trying to figure out what I'm gonna do because I don't have anywhere to go. Yeah. And I crawled under the registration tables and I fell asleep under the registration tables. Well, like eight thirty, nine o'clock rolls around and people are like, this is the part of the story I had to be told. People were like, what is that noise? <laughs> Cause apparently I swore. They're like, what is that noise? And they couldn't find that noise and they couldn't figure it out. And then they go to sit down and pull their feet under the registration table and they hit me. Like they run into my body Aww. and like not painfully, whatever. And I'm like, huh, huh, oh, I'm sorry. And they're like, they like look, because it's straight to the floor, right? So they lift it up and they're like, what are you doing under there? And I was like, well, I didn't have anywhere to sleep last night. So I found a place to sleep. And they're like, oh, goodness. And luckily it was Hooker. So Hooker, Hooker is a patriarch on the East Coast. 
um, if you don't know who Hooker is. Okay. And Hooker is Sean Patrick's mama. Um, so I met Hooker at MAL a few months prior. He was like, Scout, what are you doing under there? And I was like, I didn't have anywhere to be. And he was like, great, well, come here. You come to hospitality at the end of the night, and I'll have you be overnight security. Just don't tell Glenda. And I was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> So I showed up and he let me sleep on the couch and they let me sleep on the couch for like five years as hospitality security. My job was to make sure nobody walked off with the microwave at the end of the night. Okay. And every <laughs> year, except for the year when Glenda told somebody else they could sleep in hospitality because she didn't know I was already in there. Yeah. And like somebody comes in and um, they're like, this is my room for the weekend. And I was like, cool, I guess we're roommates. And they're like, what? No, this is my space. And I was like, no. <laughs> You're like, I've lived here for five years. I've like, lived here for five years. <laughs> with me, but I've lived here for five years. And like in that five years, I can't tell you how many nights like Hooker would walk in in the middle of the night with some young boy, like some nice, sweet boy who he's like, the uni train's not running yet. He needs to just stay here with you for a few hours. And he would like tuck some random boy in with me and take one of my pillows because I like sleep with a pillow under my arm. Mm-hmm. And he would give the boy the pillow and replace the pillow with the boy. And I was like, okay, well, I guess this is who I'm sleeping with tonight. Um, Does he get a, a boy in your bed? Yeah, like, <laughs> I take a leftover boy in my bed. That seems fine. Uh, so, yeah, I I got really blessed with that experience at Imsel. And I, like, really got hooked on the conference scene about it and that's like my home away from home. Like one of the reasons I ran for international Miss, Mr. Boot Black was because the way to get to judge international Miss Boot Black as a man is to have that title. Oh, I see. And then some shit went down and the producer at the time didn't actually follow through with that commitment she made me the night I won. But I trust the next gen to make it right. Mm -hmm. um, so like... I don't know. I just feel really lucky. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, what like an adventure? Like you go. I mean, like it's. I, it sucks. You, you've had hard. You've been on hard times. You had to sleep literally under registration tables to get where you're at. But like, I mean, you. I have, wouldn't change a minute of it. Yeah, I mean, it's so valuable. All of it. I've had a great time. I've been really lucky. Um, when I got my 2010 Northwest patch. So Northwest re represents Idaho, Montana, Alaska, Oregon, and Washington. Okay. And nobody had ever been to Idaho, Alaska, or Montana. And during my year, I was committed to doing that. I never made it to Montana. I still haven't made it to Montana. Um, but I did reach out on like FetLife and like found community in Idaho and found community in Alaska and made it to both of those states during my title year. Like, I love a good road trip. Any excuse to get in the van, like, let's go. Um, that's right. We're taking a little road trip in the summer for a vacation, and, and you messaged me like, hey, I know all the places. <laughs> there are some great websites for road trip planning and, like, for free campgrounds, for, like, dispersed camping. Like, there's a whole way, because I lived in my van for three years as a boot black, and, like, I just traveled around yeah. um, doing boots, and that was after my 2010 year that was like 2011 through 2013 mm -hmm. and parts of 2010 i was living most of 2010 i was living in a van um but i loved vanity like i lived in a van called vinata named after a racehorse at first 
Um, and then I live, and then I bought Vanity after Vinata died a tragic death, and I bought Vanity. These are your vans. Uh huh. Okay. Around, now I have Goldie Honda. Um, <laughs> I and, love how these are, will also be really great drag names. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I I loved living in my van, and I had a lot of, like I had really good community support. So living in a van in Portland. I would go to the Kennedy school where you can go sit in the hot tub for $5 a day. Mm-hmm. Well, they also have a shower and like bathrooms and they're open all night. So like living in a van in Portland was kind of posh. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> It works out. It works out. Yeah. <laughs> well, we're going to take a quick pause right here and resume our talk with Scout next time. As always, you can find me on Instagram and Patreon as Leather Talk Mr. Bullet and Twitter as Brandon Bullet LA. Thanks again for listening, and as always, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay kinky. Okay.